my job is to do this so many times that I eventually create a paved road that you can just take a car and drive. Like that's what I want is I want to do this so many times that my systems are so good that almost any agent can join my team and be profitable. Just like any truck driver can drive on the road. You don't need a super skilled one. Mm. So for people who are in the, in your world, why should I work for Trevor? Because he knows how to do this so well. He can get you there 20 times faster than you got yourself there, right? We had to go first and trudge through thick snow up to your thigh every single time you take a step. It's a lot easier to walk on packed snow. And that's, mm. that's, the, that's the burden of the leader, but it's also the benefit to the, the followers. Helping hardworking real estate investors, agents, and entrepreneurs grow a better business, mindset, and future. This is the Carrot Cast Podcast. Now here's your host, Trevor Mock. What's up, y'all? I've been looking forward to this, this podcast for quite some time. Uh, and then uh, Brady on my team, he mentioned to me, he's like, dude, David, who I'm going to introduce you guys to here in a second, is coming on the podcast and if you guys don't know who he is uh, and you're in the investor world, you have likely heard his voice. You've likely heard one of their podcasts over on Bigger Pockets because they do amazing, amazing things over there. And we're going to talk about uh, all the different things he does in real estate. We're going we're to run the gamut from his story all the way through how he's built his brokerage, how he invests uh, in a big way. And uh, we were just now talking. He's in Hawaii looking to pick up a, a couple of condos there, which is really cool. But I want to welcome on the Carrot Cast for the first time, Mr. David Green. Welcome on, man. Thank you, Trevor. It's good to be here, and thanks for that introduction. I appreciate that. Of course. So we're we're gonna we're gonna kind of start at at the beginning, but before we do that, I always want to give people context uh, for the entrepreneur that we're talking to. And um, uh, dude, why don't why don't we dive in here first? Uh, you know, first of all, who are you? Uh, where do you live? Like, where's your primary market? I know you're in Hawaii right now uh, on some business and vacay, but where do you live? And then we'll kind of unpack what your current business looks like. And then we're going to go back and, uh, and figure out how you got there. But dude, who are you? Where, where's your primary market? And what, what does your business look like right now? Awesome, man. I'm a California kid. So mm-hmm. I grew up in Northern California. I still live in that area. So I'm in the Bay Area and the Sacramento markets. Uh, I was a police officer for eight years or so. And I got mm-hmm. into investing while working as a cop. And then an injury forced me to get out of that. So I started selling real estate as an agent. And got my butt kicked trying to figure out that industry that was not very easy. And in 2020, <laughs> finally had like my first year where I got all the pieces click and it finally started to go really good. Yep. So we sold 93 million in real estate and that was all pretty much through me and uh, one other guy. And I started a mortgage company in 2020 as well. And I just found out that in our sixth month of being in business, we are ranked in the top 100 loan originators in the country. Mm. So Mm. That has just skyrocketed. That's awesome. That's uh, two businesses that I'm really focused on running and growing. And then I got into real estate as an investor. So I basically just saved up money and bought rental property, worked my butt off and did it the stupid way. And then I figured out the first strategy and I scaled it a lot quicker. <laughs> and then I've kind of taken those principles I've learned from building a rental portfolio and applied it to the business world. Dude, I, I absolutely love it. And and like I said before, you are one of the co-hosts or you're the co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. And, and dude, that podcast, man... Um, Number one, you know, with with uh, Josh way back in the early days, and then now Brandon and yourself, 
uh, dude, it's, it, it brings so much life to the real estate world. And I think it'd be understating the fact that bigger pockets probably single-handedly has brought a good ethical, honest investing to the mainstream. Uh, before that, it was always kind of this under the radar, you'd be uh, deep diving in these lurky forums and bigger pockets elevated that. So I just want to uh, let you know how much I appreciate what you guys do for the industry on both the retail side and the, and the wholesale side. Before we forget about it, where can people find you guys uh, on the podcast? Yeah. So we're all over the podcast world. If you just type in mm -hmm. bigger pockets, you'll find the podcast, you'll yeah. find it on YouTube, you'll find it on Google. Um, you could get lost in that website. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. I am super, super lucky to be affiliated with that company because I have very high standards. It's hard for me to find people that align with those bigger pockets mm -hmm. has very high standards. I mean, it's hard for them to find frankly personalities that are going to uphold that. So yep. that was sort of a match made in heaven and it really just exploded everything. You know, you know, this Trevor, when you get into a position of this many people are looking up to me and you know how hard it was for you to get where you're going, mm -hmm. it's a lot of pressure that people in our position feel like you have to know your stuff. You know, if somebody misinterprets one thing you say, or runs with something farther than they should, they could get hurt and lose a lot of money. So it's been great for me to be in that position because it really forces me to look very closely at every area of my life, every area of investing, every area of business, because you got so many people that are depending on you for the information that really want to be successful. Dude, so I, I, I want to ask you this question, actually, this popped up in my mind, because there's probably a lot of people who haven't really uh, listened to the Bigger Pockets podcast yet, or maybe there's at least a few of you out there who haven't listened to it yet. Um, if, if there was an investor listening to this and they're like, man, where do I start? Because there's a lot of episodes. You kind of have one of your favorites where you're like, man, this one here, I remember this one. Uh, start there. I don't know if I would say there's a favorite one because there's a lot of them are very topical. Mm -hmm. I would say start off listening to solo shows that Brandon and I do without a guest. Cool. So that doesn't mean they're better, but it's a good place to start because you're going to get a lot of content and probably a deeper perspective on the things we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And you're getting a deeper perspective deeper perspective on a general concept is where does that sound? So you're not going to mm -hmm. learn this is how title works or this is how you buy houses in this city you are going to get an understanding of the fundamentals that go into real estate investing, which is where I think every new person needs to start, right? Yeah. It's like learning anything, learning a new sport. You don't go out there and get taught how to slam dunk when you're playing basketball. Mm -hmm. You get taught the footwork. You do the footwork over and over until it's a habit. Then you introduce the ball and you get the ball in your feet to be working together. That's where I think new people need to start is they need to understand the concept of, I am borrowing money from this person. Yeah. to buy something that I'm going to rent to this person and pay back the first person with money from the second. Like mm -hmm. your mind has to wrap itself around how that's going. Yeah. Then you can dive deep into how do I borrow money? What do I need to do to get a loan? And what kind of tenant do I want to pay them back? And what's the difference? How do I calculate the cash flow? I think too many people try to, how do I become an expert in, in getting great financing and they don't understand what to do with it once they have it. Yep. Dude, that, that's, that's so good guys. Go listen to the podcast. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, go dive in. We've got a wealth of information. So what, what I want to dive into the most uh, most here, man, is we've been talking about hybrid for years here at Carrot. And you know, there, there's the two parts of the industry. You know, there's the the retail side that's been around and mainstream for decades and decades, and then there's the wholesale side, which has also been around for decades. Uh, you know, where someone can get off market properties, you know, usually for a discount. Uh, sometimes they'll wholesale the property. Sometimes they'll buy it, fix it up and sell it to a retail uh, and, and buyer. And what we've seen, especially the past five years is an acceleration with the iBuyers coming in the middle and all the tech solutions coming in the middle. Uh, we've seen an acceleration of the two sides coming together. And 
uh, over the years, wholesalers and flippers didn't really have to work with agents uh, most of the time. Sometimes if you could figure out a, and find a, what, what people would call an uh, investor-friendly agent, right? Because um, there was this, this weird dynamic of people not being able to find invest, uh, agents that they deemed friendly to investors. And then on the other side of it, uh, on the agent side of it, I think in general, most retail agents just don't understand the wholesale side. They don't understand the off-market property side, wholesaling a piece of property, invest. And what we'd like to dive into on this episode, man, is you are doing both and, and you have a lot of experience in both. Um, and now you've got the mortgage uh, broker side of things. I'd love to kind of d- dive in and talk. And number one, uh, you started on the investment side of things. I'd like to unpack that a bit on, you know, what was that first investment property? <clears throat> um, you know, wh- where did you start to scale up towards the multifamily, towards the bigger types of properties and why? I, I think it'd be cool walking through some of those steps and why you chose to make those decisions. And then also as an investor, why you chose to add the retail side. Uh, so we'll start way back at the back, dude. Uh, you're, you're a police officer for nine years and you made that choice to, to get an investment property. What was that first property you got? And, and why did you make that, make that leap? I fell into it bass backwards, to be completely <laughs> honest with you, man. I, I was at church one day and my buddy's like, dude, good news. I got accepted in the Bible college in Chicago. Uh-huh. Bad news is I got a house under contract. I was going to buy. I'm going to lose my money. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I was like, Matt, I mean, that sucks, dude. Maybe if I buy your house, will they let you keep your money? He goes, I think so. Well, let's just go look at it. So I go and I'm like, well, I'm going to need a house someday. I'll just buy his and then rent it out. And then when I'm ready to move in with my family, I'll just do that. That's all I was thinking. So yep. I go to the agent. <clears throat> he had it under contract at 215000 I had kind of been looking at houses on you know Zillow or whatever it was back in 09. And I thought, oh, that seems like a pretty good price compared to what I'm seeing. And it was a big house that had just been built five years ago. It sold for 565 when it was built. So it dropped to 215. And I went to the agent and we negotiated it to 195 because the uh, agent was also working for the broker who was listing the property. It was REO. Gotcha. And what, what year was this? Oh, nine. Very okay, end of 2009. Cool. Yep. So I bought that house. I watched prices keep dropping. It probably went down to like 180. And of course, I just thought I was an idiot. What am I doing? I, I caught the falling knife. Why did I jump in and invest? I'm so <laughs> stupid. And I didn't, I, I found some renters that I just, a guy on Craigslist that I found, I did no background check. I didn't check his credit. I just thought, hey, I'll be good to him and he'll be good to me. And I got taken. It was oh, horrible. Man. I mean, the dude, basically the title company sent me a refund check for the property taxes because it was still assessed at 565 when I bought mm. it. Well, it dropped to 195. I got like five grand coming back to me yeah. and they mailed it to the house, not to me. Mm. And so he cashes that check at the bank, pays me with my own money for three months of rent and then just totally stops paying. And I go through my <laughs> first experience trying to evict someone. I'm close. I'm cheap. So I'm buying a landlord for dummies book, trying to save money and, and not using anybody. And it was terrible. And I would have sold the house and been done with investing if I could, mm-hmm. but I was underwater on it. So I, uh, I was doing another round of Craigslist and then one of them said, Oh, our property manager said, come check this out. And I said, what's a property manager. (laughs) I'd started the process of, Oh my God, there's someone that does this for you. I can just get this guy to do it. So I got a property manager. He wasn't very good, but it was so much better than me that I had a light bulb that clicked and said, Oh, this is how you do it. You find other people to do this stuff. And so I got that house somewhat stabilized. And then my mom told me about a house that was for sale the next year. And so I was down the street from her house. I just said, Oh, let's buy another house. Mm-hmm. And then my grandma passed away and they were going to sell her house. So I bought it. And by then I had three houses. And what happened is my identity clicked and I saw myself as a real estate investor. Oh, I gotcha. People Good. would ask like, what do you do? And I would say, Oh, I, I own these houses. 
That, that, that is cool, man. So <clears throat> I, I think one of the things I love the most about that, David, is, is a lot of people, especially when you're getting going, they, they try to create this master plan, right? Like every, every step has got to be perfect. And, and I've got my next five investments all lined out. And I, I love the fact that you were just literally looking one step ahead and saying, okay, cool. This opportunity is here in front of me. Can I look at it and make it work? And then you would find a way to make it work. And then eventually as you did it enough times, it was a commitment that you'd made, Hey, I'm committing to being an investor. Um, which is great. Yeah. I would say when people look at, they want a master plan mm-hmm. that is motivated by trying to avoid making a mistake or getting hurt. Uh, I got you. Yeah. I know everything. I can't lose money. I can't make a mistake. No one will criticize me. And the motivation is I don't want to feel pain. Mm-hmm. If you just make peace with the fact that you're going to feel some pain, like learning to ride a bike, who didn't fall down a couple of times, right? Yep. But would you ever give up the ability to ride a bike? Cause you, you might fall a few times. No way. It frees you immensely to make progress. So like the first step, instead of having a master plan is just make peace with the fact I'm going to get hurt a little bit, but I'm going to be fine. Gotcha. I, I love it, dude. So with, with those, with those first few properties, was that conventional financing? Kind of what, what, what did you do to purchase those ones? We're going to get into Burr here later. Cause I know you do a lot of that now, uh, but how'd you buy the first few? I put conventional financing 25% yeah. down. Cause I got a little bit better rate to 20. And okay. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm borrowing less money. So it's a little safer. I thought all those types, same, same types of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I bought a fourplex after that with conventional financing. And that was the first time I actually ran numbers. I was looking at my ROI. I didn't know it was called ROI at the time. I hadn't found bigger pockets. I just mm-hmm. realized in three years, I'll make all my money back. This is incredible. <laughs> like a 30% return. I need more of them. Yep. And so that was kind of how I got started, but it was all just save up money, working like a dog and dumping mm-hmm. into the house. Dude. So, so when you're, let's unpack the ROI part of it. So when you're, when you're analyzing a deal now, and of course it, it depends on if it's a big scale multifamily versus a condo that you're looking at now or other things, but are, are there any things that, that you look at kind of quick back of the napkin math things to go, yeah, this, I'm going to rule this in and rule it out to look at deeper that people can yeah. adopt. I, I was the most analytical person ever. Mm-hmm. And that's because I was afraid of pain. I didn't want to get hurt. And so I found comfort in analysis and I've since moved into more action, not you're still taking prudent action, but mm-hmm. action is much more important than perfection. So even the properties I'm buying right now, I'm not digging super deep on the analysis of them. I'd say that the fast, quick way you can do this and still be safe is start with the 1% rule. Mm-hmm. Can it rent for about 1% of what you're buying it for? Gotcha. The 1% rule becomes increasingly more lenient, the higher you go in price. Hmm. So by that, I mean, if you're buying a house for 50 grand, it better rent for $500 a month or it's not going to cash flow, but you get into 500 grand. It doesn't need to be five grand a month at 500 grand, probably something 3,500 or more. You could probably cash flow. So I I, I keep that in mind. And then I try to avoid areas where I think cap X is just going to be unnaturally high. Mm -hmm. So this isn't a criticism of anyone who does, but because I get busy and I don't look super close, I don't tend to buy properties in areas where there's a lot of snow. Yep. There's different problems that I've never had to deal with. Like when pipes are going to burst and mm-hmm. how snow affects roofs and furnaces and filling up gas. Like I don't know enough about that off the top of my head to make a good decision. So I just avoid it. I yep. invest in places where the sun shines more like yep. Arizona. And so my California, my Arizona houses, I forget I own them a lot of the time. Just nothing ever comes up with those properties. And so those probably be two pieces of advice I could give people that are not super analytical, but they don't want to make a foolish decision. Dude. So I, I absolutely love that. I want, I want people to reverse that part of it because I know for me, you know, in, in the first property that I bought, it was like analysis every which way uh, for the exact same reason. Like, Oh shoot. If, if I, if I don't have a cash flowing 
uh, day one, then what's going to happen here. And luckily after 8 million analysis of that first four unit, I ended up buying it and I still own that one today and it's cash flowed from day one. But I, I love, I love what you've done there, Dave, because one of my, one of my things now today, as I'm looking at picking up a property or two a year, kind of on the commercial side, and maybe a little bit of multifamily as I, as I don't have that, um, kind of mental operating system going in saying, I'm going to look at these three things really quickly. And these three things or these two things or whatever they are rule something in or out for me to look deeper. And so when, when you don't have those two or three things, like it's in a warm area, it's gotta be 1% of, of X, and then there might be something else. Uh, then you end up looking at every potential factor out there. And then you end up just uh, you have paralysis by that, which the funny thing is I don't have that on the software side of things or any of the other stuff. It's just when I'm buying real estate and I need, I need to adopt what you've done there. I, lo- I love it. Yeah. The third one I would say, if you wanted three was just the area. Yep. Just, I don't buy a house if it's going to be in a rough area. It's, gotcha. I'm not saying nobody should. There's probably a place for that, especially maybe if you're brand new and you want to get <laughs> like, you know, cut your teeth a little bit. But when you're successful in other things and you're busy buying properties in bad areas is just going to drain you of your desire to be a real estate investor. Mm-hmm. And long-term, you're going to make less money. Yep. Dude, so how many, if you don't mind sharing, uh, if you're comfortable, how many units today do you own? So now we're talking, you know, this is 11 years later or so uh, from the time that you started buying rental properties. Uh, what, what have you amassed at this point? And is there anything that you would have done differently along the way with, with that portfolio? Oh, there's so many things I would have done differently. <laughs> I, uh, I scaled to about 35 single family homes and then yeah. that one fourplex. Mm-hmm. And I had some mortgage notes and some other things. And then some like uh, some bigger apartment deals with other investors. Mm. And I got really good at the single family game. I was using the Burr method. I was picking up two to three a month for a period of time there. And uh, I, the reason I stopped was just, I realized I don't want to have 200 of these houses, right? Like it, yep. it's diminishing returns at a certain point where that extra 200 bucks a month that you're bringing in is not worth the phone calls and the problems and the communication with all the people when something Mm -hmm. goes wrong. Like at a certain point, that five grand a month you can build gets you out of your job. That's invaluable. You do whatever you take to get there. When you get to a point where you're making like, let's say 35 grand a month, does getting to 40 really change Mm -hmm. a whole lot for the headache that you get? So I recognize this isn't going to make sense to just keep doing the same thing this many times. So I stopped buying single family homes. And instead of getting into investing in a different asset class, I really went and learned how to be a businessman. Mm-hmm. I, I, <clears throat> I learned, I tried to build my real estate team, hired a bunch of assistants, did terrible, hired a bunch of agents, did terrible, sucked at every single part of being a business owner, <laughs> fell off that bike for four years in a row, finally started to figure some things out. Like I mentioned earlier, started that mortgage company. So now um, I've kind of been away from actively pursuing buying deals for three years, but I have a lot of money coming in that's becoming passive income. Cool. It's active income, but it's been leveraged by so many people that yeah. it, it functions like passive income. And I'm looking to jump back into investing now. And like you mentioned, getting into bigger deals. Dude, so that that right there is so important. And I, I want to sit in this a little bit because uh, you'll, you'll go into forums, you go into masterminds or whatever, and amazing masterminds, right? Um, I'm, I'm in a couple of them and you're in those rooms and there's people with 200, 150, 300 single family units, uh, which, which 
is amazing. They have amassed those assets and the cash flow that's coming from them is probably great. But on the other side of it, almost every single time, you know, they're talking about the, the rentals that are that are a pain in the butt. They're talking about these big issues here. And, and those guys and gals usually aren't doing it because they need that. Like you said, they don't need the extra five grand or they don't need the extra whatever. It's just, they haven't made a decision to shift towards something else that serves them in their life better. Um, and, and I love what you've done there. You, you built the portfolio to essentially move away from something initially, right? It's like, there's a job or career, what, what, whatever it is that I, I moved away from that. Uh, choosing the path of rental real estate. Once you got away from it, then it's like, all right, now I get to sit back and decide what's next and where do I want to enjoy uh, building that income. So, dude, I, I want to toss it over your way now because um, I'm I'm the same way. I started off in real estate and then I'm like, I don't want to be a flipper and wholesaler personally for me, and I don't want to own a million rental properties, but I love building businesses. I love marketing, and I want to take some of that cash flow and put it over to an asset that makes sense. But um, what, what was the biggest thing, man, that interests you to start the brokerage uh, side of it? Well, to your point about moving, that's a, from one thing to another. That's mm -hmm. a great thing for your audience to understand. That's why you don't want a master plan before you get started. Gotcha. You yep. don't know right now what you're even going to want to do. Yep. Right? But Trevor, you took this momentum. You took what you learned about that world. You had some success in it, but you then said, I'm going to take everything I learned and I'm going to apply that momentum in another direction. Mm. You got this big train moving down the tracks and you just go onto another track. You don't have to start from scratch. Yep. You just move it into being a business owner, which you like more. That tends to be how success happens. So like mm. what I, what Brandon and I are on a really big kick of telling people is get your momentum going, then figure out what step 27 is going to be, right? Yep. But you just got to get steps one and two down. So I, I love that story. That's a great thing to hear. Um, the reason I wanted to start a brokerage, brokerage, this is, I've actually had people criticize me for this. So I don't know <laughs> if I'm smart or if this is good advice. It, it's your story though, man. So that, yeah, that's, that's I'm the cool being, thing about I'm it. Just being completely brutally honest. Yeah. I love it. Almost everything that I've undertaken was motivated by frustration that other people <laughs> weren't doing it good enough to yeah. be completely honest. Right. I, <clears throat> I write books because the books I read about that topic kind of, they're not that good. Mm -hmm. I, I teach, I educate on real estate investing because I get tired of listening to videos of other people and it's just a sales pitch to buy a product and there's no content, right? It mm -hmm. frustrates me that I want to go do it. I just frankly got tired of having agents that I knew more than they did. And I was telling them how to be better at their job. And they're the ones getting paid in this deal. And I got mm -hmm. so frustrated with like, I won't name any names, but I'm buying a property right now. And the, uh, the, there's a problem with like water leakage in the bathrooms. Mm -hmm. All right. And yep. we got a quote at $7,800 to fix it. And the agent wrote up a request for $25,000 for uh, what we wanted as a credit. And I said, Hey, I think we need to get a contractor to give us a scope of work that says this is going to be $40,000 to fix all of it. Mm -hmm. Because that quote only shows like how to fix the leak. It doesn't show how to fix the uh, damage. Mm -hmm. He goes, no, 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 <laughs> we're going to be fine. They understand what we have. Well, they came back and said, we'll give you seven grand. And I know if we had given them, it's going to be $55,000 to fix this problem. We only want 20. We yep. would have got it. Well, the agent didn't want to take the time to go find a contractor and maybe, you know, they're, they're busy right now. That's an example of I would get frustrated by that. And I would think if I was an agent, I would have done it this way. Well, I just went and did that. So I went and became an agent and I did all those things and it was very difficult. And then I realized probably faster than other people are, I'm not really good at the handholding element of this job, right? I will yep. fight to get you what you, I'll get you that money, but I don't need a big pat on the back afterwards. I don't need to, Oh my God, David, you changed my life. Thank you. Right. That just doesn't <laughs> motivate me as much as I know I did a good job. Yeah. So I was kicking butt and the clients felt like, Oh, he doesn't really care about me. 
It's like, mm. what are you talking about? I worked for three <laughs> days to save you $6,500 on that. I don't care. Yeah. But they didn't value what I did. So I went and surrounded myself on my team with those kind of people that were just mm. more emotionally oriented and they could connect with the clients. And I could do this work and then hand it to that person and they could go explain what happened and the clients were crying with gratitude, mm. right? And that was one little problem I had to solve, but that happened over and over and over. I am not good at this element of the job. I have to leverage it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I truly think that's why my business scaled faster than the agents who love being an agent. Yep. Because they don't want to let it go. They love handing the keys to the person. They love showing the houses themselves. They love entering the information into the database because they Mm -hmm. have to do it right. And they like it so much, they don't ever leverage it. They don't ever Mm -hmm. actually build a business. So that's what motivated me to get into it. I was tired of agents not being good. I wanted to solve the problem of bad agents. Now I'm trying to solve the problem of training new agents to be an agent like me. And that's mm. where most of my time is spent. Dude, so that that right there, before we hit record, you know, we were talking about that that hybrid um, you know, concept we've been pushing forward. And one of the biggest things that we've been coming up against is we've been talking with a lot of agents is, you know, versus investors. And number, number one, David, uh, I'm probably naive for the fact that I didn't uh, predict this before, but agents and investors are way different. Like the pure investor versus the pure agent are way different than I thought that they, that they were. I thought they were like one degree separation. Hey guys, if you just like adjust this little mindset over here, it, it'll, you'll be able to be an investor. Um, and, and what I found is exactly what you found, but you, you know, it way better than I do is there's a lot of real estate agents that, that, that treat it more like a business opportunity than a business, right? It's, it's that they love driving around and they love doing the showings and they love the talking with the people and looking at beautiful homes. That's awesome. Cause like that's needed. That, that, that's a needed thing that like you were saying, the home buyer <clears throat> wants that experience. They want the experience of having buying a home, being awesome with their agent. And so those people are really valuable and needed, but where, where I end up seeing a lot of agents, 10, you know, five, 10, 15 years down the road is they end up being wore out. They end up going, man, like, when am I ever going to get off of this hamster wheel? Because I can't take a month long vacation because if I do, my leads aren't going to get followed up on, you know, I'm going to have less commission in three, four, five months. And so then they stay on this hamster wheel. And so what I want people to recognize, if you're an agent listening to this, is there are ways that you can get off of that hamster wheel. You can use this business. And we're going to talk about it with David on ways he's doing it with his client, with his agents um, there in the, in the Bay Area. But you can get off the hamster wheel and find ways to more build a structure, build a business, build real systems. And so let's toss it back over that way. With those agents you're working with, and right now you're building those systems, what are some of the things that you're doing uh, to have those agents think differently? And are they able to build more of a long-term sustainable business versus being on that uh, commission hamster wheel? Yeah, you you hit it right on the head. So the new book series I have coming out for Bigger Pockets is about this topic. It's Perfect. about agents, right? So my first book is called Sold, Every Real Estate Agent's Guide to Building a Profitable Business. That's mm. coming out in a couple of days. You can get it at biggerpockets.com slash new books. Perfect. And, and the second book in that series will be How to Become a Top Producer. The third will be How to Build a Team. I love it. So what you said is, is perfect is they have a business, but they work it like a job. Mm-hmm. They do everything. And that's, that's honestly okay. If you like doing that, yep. then do it. Part of that is being honest with yourself that, you, that if you take a vacation, you lose money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like there's no, you, you're your own employee. So there's no yeah. one paying you. If you take a two week vacation, you're not getting two weeks of pay. Mm-hmm. And if that's the life you want, go do it. But most of them complain. Like, I don't like this. There's, I'm losing money. What if I leave? I got to work. Well, you set it so up. So then they way. don't leave, right? Yeah. Then, then they don't take the vacations or they're working on Saturdays. And, yep. Yeah. And then the whole reason you become an agent, the flexibility, <laughs> yep. I want to work for myself. It all that goes away because you don't yep. actually get to enjoy it. 
So what I did in a nutshell was I created a system where I had to solve every single problem that popped up in this whole Mm. world of agents being able to run it like a business with the client never experiencing something different than if they just had that one agent all the time. So we kind of have this model, like you've heard that analogy of the duck who looks calm on the surface, but underneath the feet are going nuts. We want one agent communicating with the client. That's the duck on the surface. That's all they see behind them. They have a mix of administrative assistants, transaction coordinators, and showing assistants that are the Mm. duck's feet. Mm. They're going nuts. So in, in essence, what I did is I took experienced agents, who know the business, who can teach others, and who don't want to do non-dollar productive activities, showing homes, going on inspections, going on appraisals, entering things in a database, scheduling stuff, mm-hmm. calling listing agents to ask questions. They want to, I want them focusing on putting people in contract and closing deals and finding leads. That's mm-hmm. it. Okay. Kind of like if you were an investor, you need to find a motivated seller and put it under contract to make sure it closes. All the other details, you can leverage that to to somebody else. Mm. I paired them with newer or inexperienced agents that don't know anything that simply need repetitions. They need to go show homes to learn how to do it. There's a lot of value in that agent going on a home inspection because they can talk to a home inspector and learn how water pipes work or how electrical conduits work. Okay, that It's valuable to them. It's not to someone who's done this a hundred times. And I paired them together so that both sides end up winning. And then as the agents that are on my team start to do more deals, I build a team under them the same way that they did for me. So they came in, they learned the business, they served me. Now they're lead generating on their own. I bring people in underneath them and that serves you. And then when those people come in, somebody's going to come in and learn under them. So it's sort of like taking the team model within my team and scaling it for the agents that I work with the same way that I did for me. So, so one thing you mentioned, I I love that, man. So one thing you mentioned before we dove into the mechanics of it is, is you said, Hey, you know, I, I started the real estate brokerage, which is traditionally more of an active income thing, but I made it towards more of a passive thing by building the structure. And, and that's one of the things with investors and agents, we'll talk to them a lot. And I think a lot of people have the impression or idea of a lifestyle business means no team, right? Means like if I have a team, that must be a burden on me. If I've got a team, man, look at the stress it's going to put on me. I mean, I've got payroll now and I've got this, and it's actually going to tie me to the business uh, closer. And, and what I've discovered, and it sounds like, man, you're mastering this right now. Uh, what I've discovered is it's actually the opposite of that. It, you know, it's, it's, if you're, if you're by yourself, you are trapped to that business. Like we were talking before, but if you build a team with real processes and learn how to lead well, which I want to get in the leadership side here in a second, because I know people who have built teams, but don't have the right processes, don't lead well. And then they are trapped to that business more than they were before. Um, but if you, if you build the right processes and lead well, it actually frees you. It frees you. So you can get that freedom and flexibility, make the impact you want to make, have the time off that you want to make. Um, and so I want people to make sure that as you're looking at ways, you can build more of that long-term wealth, build the asset, build something that is getting off of that income hamster wheel. Uh, it doesn't have to be rental properties. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. And it could be building a business with real structure. Uh, last thing I'll say on this, David, I'll uh, toss a question your way is uh, I, I use the hamster wheel analogy a lot. You know, it's like uh, most agents are on the hamster wheel. Just like you described, they're out there doing everything. And if you're in that business model, uh, the hamster wheel has to, has to continue spinning. You just have to get other people to run on it for you. And, and that's, that's what we're talking about here. So dude, with, with that, let's say you have that, that agent who's starting to be a rock star. They're climbing up there. Uh, one thing that I've, I've definitely talked with agents about that uh, is a pretty common fear is, well, shoot, 
I have to keep on going on those appointments because I'm the one that people are looking for. I'm in the marketing kind of, how, how do you guys deal with that? So that person doesn't feel like they've got to be tied to those appointments. That's a great question. I call it my barrel of monkeys. Mm-hmm. Philosophy. Do you remember barrel of monkeys as a kid? Mm. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So they're these little plastic monkeys with arms and you can, you link them together. So when you hold it up, there's one monkey reaching up to one above it and then reaching down to one below them. Mm-hmm. We have, we're working on creating this environment where there's always someone you're looking up to that's teaching you, that's helping you. And there's always someone you're looking down to that you're passing that information mm-hmm. to. So as long as you're looking up, you won't feel like you suck at life because you got someone that you're better than that you're teaching them. Right. Yep. And you'll never feel when you're looking down at people who know less than you, like you're, you're the ish when there's someone above you who's crushing it more than you. I think it gotcha. creates that that healthy balance. The key is when I do anything like listing presentations are probably the last piece of the business that I give up when I'm like, other than hiring, maybe I would say, right. But actually mm-hmm. working with clients, a listing presentation is the number one most valuable thing you can do. Cause once we wrap up a listing, there's a 99.999% chance that thing is going to sell. Right. I, yep. just, I made money the minute that contract is signed. I would be doing that forever. If I was waiting for somebody on my team, to just learn how to do it as good as me. Mm. So I just started bringing them with me, yep. right? We did it with buyer's presentations and with listing presentations. Watch how I do it. Listen to how I say it. Watch how I read them. And then we would debrief. Why did you skip this part? Because I could tell they were already in. Their question mm. was this, and this is what they said that gave that up, okay? Gotcha. You have to bring an apprentice along and show them, but you don't want to just spend all your time training and not doing. So what I did was I found people I could bring into while I have to go do it. I'm going to take you. Yep. And I found different ways to introduce my client to those people. They never minded, right? Sometimes I'd have that person call to confirm the appointment so that the client was already aware of who they were. Cool. And I would do that with <clears throat> negotiating with other agents. I'd be on the phone with a listing agent as a buyer's agent asking questions that the agent did not know were probing questions for me to figure out how legit are your other offers or do you have them Mm. so that I could go advise my client. And I'd have the buyer's agents with me Mm. listening. And then we would all talk about it. That everyone skips that. They're like, "Ah, nobody can do it as good as me. So I'm just going to do it myself. Right? Well, ideally I'd have a group of 10 agents in the room with me, all hearing me make that call Mm -hmm. for a six month period. I'd have 10 little Navy seals ready to go out there and take over the world. Okay. So that's really, I think what's missing is you got to have the heart of the servant that a, well, there's pressure on you to do good. Cause they're all looking up to you. Yep. Okay. And, and that's, you're the top monkey in that way. But if you do that, well, they will then go be able to do it close to, or as good as what you're doing. And then you got 10 news that are out there giving those presentations. And I think it's really that simple, right? In the investing world, the number one thing that we do is we get motivated sellers to come to us and then we solve their problem for them. Mm-hmm. That is not something that you can write out a script that someone can copy every time. How do you solve a problem or creates requires some critical thinking. Yep. So as you Trevor or someone else is going through that process with that motivated seller, you want someone in the room getting to see how you think, mm-hmm. learning yep. how to read stuff, right? I give them books to read, like, look, go read this book and come talk to me. I'll show you how we apply it in this world. Cool. That's what I'm doing. And that's what I think I'm going to continue to be doing to grow. And I'd say anyone who's running a business, they can start doing the same thing. Dude, I, I absolutely love the barrels of monkey analogy, man. It's it's so good. Uh, it's so good. Dude, we're here at Carrot, man. I I definitely had a fear because um, my previous companies they're always really small. It was kind of the lifestyle mindset, right? Lifestyle business mindset, and you know I was more trapped to those than than a team of forty three people right now with Carrot. And um, and one one analogy that I, that I've that I've looked at is is almost like picture yourself walking through 
you know, walking up, up, up a mountain through two feet of snow. And in the past, what I would do when I wasn't delegating well, is I would say, Hey, awesome. Let's get you all excited. There's the top of that mountain. Here's kind of the path. Go ahead and go up there. And then if you have any problems, come back and talk to me. And so they're, they're like putting one foot in front of the other through snow that they've never been through that no one has guided them through. Instead, it's the same thing that you're talking about there, David is like, all right, your first time doing it. I've been up there a bunch of times. I'm going to walk in front of you. I'm going to, I'm going to create the footsteps in the snow. I just want you to walk in those same footsteps. And so you're creating that path for them. And then after that, they can, they can now walk up those footsteps themselves or create their own after that. And so that, that's a biggie, man. I, I abdicated way too much with delegation. It was more like, I want to set them free and I don't want to micromanage. And then you set them out there and you're setting them up for failure because you're not coaching them well. Oh yeah. I use a very similar analogy. I just, it's just right on with your snowshoe thing. I talk about, it's like a jungle. Okay. I have hacked my way with my machete through that rough foliage. You can follow in behind me and it will be a lot easier for you. Mm, And that's important because a lot of agents who join the team, their first question is, well, why am I giving up part of my commission to be on a team? Why do I want to go work in your business? I'm like, no, 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 no. You get money when you get to the other end of that jungle. My job is to do this so many times that I eventually create a paved road that you can just take a car and drive. Like that's what I want Mm. is I want to do this so many times that my systems are so good that almost any agent can join my team and be profitable. Just like any truck driver can drive on the road. You don't need a super skilled one. Mm. So for people who are in the, in your world, why should I work for Trevor? Cause he knows how to do this so well. He can get you there 20 times faster than you got yourself there. Right. Mm. We had to go first and trudge through thick snow up to your thigh. Every single time you take a step, it's a lot easier to walk on packed snow. And that's, Mm. that's the, that's the burden of the leader but it's also the benefit to the the followers. Dude. So one, one last question on structure that I want to, I want to talk about the investment side and I do want to bring up your books again, dude, because you've, you've written books before I'm I'm in the throes of the struggle through writing my first book. And I'm still trying to, I want to ask you some questions of book writing, Uh, but um, so with, with, with the brokerage side of it, I was on a podcast right before this with one of our clients. He's a, an investor first turn agent, uh, does about 50 to 60 deals a year, half and half you know, flipping and half uh, as an agent. And he said, man, so last year I hired my first uh, assistant and my first employee. And he said, trained her up and did all the stuff. And then she left and became an agent by herself. And he's going, man, I'm going to do it differently the next time. So is that anything that, that you ever think about or how do you uh, combat that? If you do uh, yeah. the thought, the thought of, well, shoot, I don't want to, tra- cause I hear this all the time from agents. I don't want to train someone only for them to leave and become an agent without me. That, yes. And it's a legit concern. In fact, mm-hmm. that happened to me many times before mm-hmm. I, I got this part down. If you look at the reasons why someone would leave you and solve those problems, they won't leave you. Okay. So the biggest reasons I've found is they can grow bigger without me than they can grow with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So imagine like a circle and they're a, a smaller circle inside that circle. If their circle grows bigger than mine, I'm not bringing value. They, they leave and they should leave. Yep. I, they, I, they deserve to leave which puts pressure on me as a leader to keep creating a bigger world. Mm. So you could never get to the point that you could do more than what I can do for you. Mm. That road analogy is part of that. Look, sure. You can go do it on your own. You want to hack your way through the jungle, making, you know, a foot an hour of, of distance. Go ahead. I got a paved road. You can be up and down that thing 10 times in a day. So sure. You're giving up half your commission, but you're going to be 10 times as productive. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a, one of the ways you can get there. The other is like I told you, I'm building teams within teams. I'm not saying, hey, you work for me as a slave. And when you get good at it, you just keep doing it. The second I feel this person has more value by working their own sphere than mine, 
our, our leadership shifts from closing my deals to getting your own deals. That's mm-hmm. what the conversation goes to. And I need new people coming in to play that other role. The second they're getting so many deals, they can't keep up. That conversation shifts to let me hire you an admin. Let me hire gotcha. you. Let me hire people because you and I know how brutal it is trying to learn how to hire mm-hmm. and train. Oh, that yeah. is not easy, right? If you want to go figure that out on your own, go ahead. It's going to be six years before you get that down. <laughs> you stay here. We can, we can shorten the gap. So it really comes down to the leader has to have paved the way for everything that the followers will need. Mm. And if you've got well-established roads, they don't want to leave because that jungle looks scary. If you're making them hack through their own jungles, they're getting stronger and they're figuring it out, then they should leave you. Dude, this, this, this right here is gold, man. And so everybody, the investors, the agents, uh, you know, the hybrids that are, that are listening to this, because I hear the same thing from investors, David, where they're like, uh, well, I don't want to train up my transaction coordinators and show them all the stuff because they're going to end up leaving. And some do. Uh, one of our clients, Brian Rockwell, he's been to the carrot camp a couple of times. He's just absolutely crushing it as an investor down in Dallas. And his main guy, like his right-hand guy, uh, who was up here at Carrot Camp with him, he left and started his own thing. And it stung a little bit, but Brian ended up having that, that attitude of gratitude. He's like, man, you know, I'm so grateful I was able to help him get to that point. But um, it was because he didn't build that team within him and show him the bigger vision within, hey, if you stay here, here's how we can get somewhere bigger together. That's awesome, man. I love it. I love it. He knows now. He's not yeah. going to make that mistake again. But the exactly. Next time, put a plan in place. Oh, dude, that that's so good. So on on the investment side of things, uh, you did mention uh, motivated sellers doing some of the investment side. Uh, how much of your business is that? Because you have the brokerage, you've got the mortgage side of it now. Uh, what are you doing on the straight up, you know, uh, motivated seller type of leads? Um, what are you doing there? Very little. Okay. Completely honest with you. Yep. So. Just like when I was investing and then I said, okay, I have to go build these two businesses and I'll go back to investing. What I've learned along my path where I pivoted and said, like, I didn't know the master plan was that what I really want, my big why is to create an ecosystem Mm -hmm. where all the different individual pieces connect with each other and feed each other. So I get really hyped up by this idea that I have a mortgage company that gets fed leads by my real estate team. Mm -hmm. Okay. The stuff I'm learning on my real estate team, I will teach to other agents who will then say, I'm doing my loans with David. Yep. Then that mortgage company that's getting all these loans from other agents and from us will be bringing real estate leads back to my team. Mm. Hey, I want to refinance my house. Uh, you shouldn't. You've got way more equity. Now that becomes a listing for the team. They yep. can go sell, right? And provides leads for the agents who bring me loans. I can kick them people and I can actually be valuable to them. Like both of those things are exponentially better. There's a synergy there. Yep. When there's enough people that know me, I'll have a massive database and I'll hire a, the right person to call that database and look for motivated sellers. Mm. Now I'm not doing that work. I made a hire. I got the right person. I gave them all the resources they needed. You go call people and you find the house, the, the, the cat house or the hoarder house or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're going to flip it. Yep. When I do a lot of that, I will have a strong need for construction. Mm-hmm. I will just start my own construction company so cool. that I control the quality of the people that I get. We do deals. Now that's an extra value that I can offer to people who have us representing them when they're buying a house. Very, very good and cheap rehab costs. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to sell more houses because of that. That means we're going to get more loans because of that, right? Yep. Um, somebody comes to us and wants to refinance, but they want to pump up the ARV. Well, there's a construction lead that we mm-hmm. can have. Then I'm opening a solar company this year because people want to get solar. We're already uh, kind of you, numbers yeah. on finances. One of those numbers is your utilities. 
I'm not going to push solar on everybody, but if it makes sense for you mm-hmm. in a sunny state like California, we want to be able to offer you solar and we can do it cheaper than someone else can because we're making money on the loan and we're making money on the, the real estate service. That solar company <clears throat> should provide leads to the lending company. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? How yep. they're all oh, yeah. together. So I have to be patient enough to recognize like Brandon and I say all the time, if you try to build 12 bridges at the same time, none of them ever actually get where you're going. Right. Mm-hmm. So as this leader, I have to look at where, where should I be putting the resources, the bricks, the concrete, the everything to get this bridge done. Because when that bridge is done, I can have more resources moving back and forth to build the second bridge. And yep. that's the stuff that makes my brain just, it's always running as I'm trying to figure out how the pieces that when they're not in our position, people don't understand like how crazy it is. Oh, yeah. But that's the ultimate vision that I have is you can come to a building I have that has all these components in it. You can get everything taken care of in one trip. You can trust that this brand is not going to burn me. Mm-hmm. It can be way cheaper free than it would ever be if you put all the pieces together and more convenient. And then everyone will start coming my way. Agents will want to be a part of what I'm doing. Loan officers will want to be a part of what I'm doing, right? I can buy other brokerages and merge them into this. Mm -hmm. And I can ultimately build up enough momentum that I can just change the way real estate works so that it doesn't suck for the consumer, which was my original frustration with why I got into (laughs) it. Dude, this this is so good, man. One one thing I want to highlight out of here is, number one, your energy behind it. So anytime someone has energy like this... um, it's very hard to fake that kind of energy. You can tell that you're excited about it, man. And when you're excited about something, uh, you're going to do great work on it. You're going to pursue it. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to chase it. You're not going to quit on it. So it's really fun seeing you excited about this. It's hard work, right? It's like, it's hard. It's not easy, but, but it's exciting. Um, the, the next thing that I want to point out is this is, uh, an, another common mistake that many of us, if not all of us have made. And I hear a lot from investors or agents is you, you get a business built up usually somewhere around the three to five year mark. You know, you, you got away from that thing you were running away from the income ceiling, the old job you didn't like the, whatever it is, you got away from that thing. And now your income's taken care of. And then you didn't end up, uh, you know, putting your eyesight on something you're running towards now. And so you, all, all you're doing is you're looking at all these shiny objects coming your way. Well, I could start this thing. I could start this thing. I could start this thing. Cause now you're kind of a little bit bored maybe because yeah. you, you, you got it to that maintenance mode. Um, and what happens oftentimes is people start businesses that are completely unrelated. And, and that's where I see people start to uh, fail as an entrepreneur. You got the thing, the golden goose that's working, you get distracted by this thing over here that doesn't feed that thing or vice versa. And now you split time over there, this old, a golden goose over here starts to die. And what you've done there and what I want people to recognize is, is don't recognize the fact that Hey, David did board, uh, did uh, real estate brokerage, then mortgage brokerage, then this and then this. That's his version of what he's building, and they all feed each other. I want you guys and gals to look at your business and, and do the same thing. Hey, well, what am I using a lot of already, or, or what feeds this thing already? And I'm passionate about that. I want to go build that. Uh, so they feed each other. I've made those mistakes, man. And, and here at Carrot, anytime there's an acquisition opportunity to buy a company or other things like that, I've had to be really disciplined to look at it and go, all right, does this thing feed yeah. Carrot and make it all grow together? Because then I'm not splitting focus. It's still growing the same effort. Uh, so that I want people to remember that, y'all, because you're going to look back in two, three, four, five years. You're going to get distracted by an opportunity that's not related at all to what you're doing and just ask yourself, Am I ready to fully shift or do I want to hire someone to run that business over there? Well, so I can split focus and go over here. That's exactly. That's why I use the phrase ecosystem Mm -hmm. because I look at it like an ecosystem. Ecosystems are very delicate. 
If you bring in an, a non-native species into an ecosystem, it can screw the entire thing up. We see, yep. we see that happen, right? So I've spent all this time building what I have. You got to protect it by not bringing in the wrong piece. The pieces yep. you bring in have to have a flow and a synergy with what you have. You know, mm. and I love that you pointed it out. This principle works in any business. I often look at restaurants and they're shut down during COVID. And I'm like, why are they not expanding into a meal prep service? Yeah, There's people doing meal prep out of the kitchen of their freaking house, right? That, that don't have restaurant supply stuff. Yeah. That's a perfect extension of a business that you could say, hey, I'm just going to do meal prep. I'm going to take our catering van or I'm going to buy a catering van with, with uh, PPP money. And I'm going to go start dropping off meal prep to all the people we have. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to go put a deal together with a gym where I can get a residual income from people that sign up for memberships there. I can get mm-hmm. my people a discount. So yeah. now I've combined this gym thing with my meal prep service. Well, now I can get the gym to advertise my restaurant, right? They can sell my gift certificates. And like, that's really what you're looking to try to create rather than, like you said, three completely separate entities that have nothing to do with each other that all require, it's like three trains you're trying to get momentum going on at the same mm-hmm. time. I, I, I love it, man. My, my friend Roland Frazier, he always reminds me of this. He's like, you always want to ask, what are they buying right before? And what are they buying right after your service? And go find oh, those, good. go find yeah. those things. So David, I want to, I want to uh, flip this and wrap this folks on your books. You've got the new book coming out that you just mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got a few copies coming our way. I heard, and we're going to be giving away some copies. So what I want you guys to do is this is um, we've got, we've got five copies for sure. And we're going to go out there and buy some more uh, copies of your book. Uh, I want you all that are listening to this episode. Number one, David, uh, Tell us the name of your latest book again, because you wrote several, but tell us the the name of the latest book that's coming out soon. And just give us kind of that overall high-level synopsis of who should read it, what it's about, and then we're going to give some away. Thank you, Trevor. I appreciate that, man. Uh, Writing a book is a pain in the butt. So anytime (laughs) you can talk about it, it's like the only way I'll ever experience something close to giving birth. (laughs) Um, It's called Sold. Every Real Estate Agent's Guide to Building a Profitable Business. Mm-hmm. And this book was written for the new or the inexperienced agent that is being told, go lead generate, get on the phone, talk to people at real estate. But mm-hmm. in their heart, they know that they feel like a fraud yep. because they don't know what they're talking about and they don't feel comfortable telling people they love, come let me help you buy a house or sell your house when they have no idea. Mm-hmm. Every agent runs to their broker and says, what do I do? And every broker says, you should have came to the class that I did two weeks ago on that. Now you got to figure it out. This is a big problem in the business is agents don't take the time to educate themselves. Brokers don't have the resources to give to them. It becomes a big, ugly mess where only the top 13% end up succeeding. So this book was written to be all the things that your broker should be telling you or would be telling you if they had the time and they don't. It's a lot of the basics. This is what the escrow process looks like. This is what selling a house looks like. This is what buying a house looks like. This is what to do in your first 30 days. Here's some literal questions every single client's going to have. And this is your literal answer. Mm. Not just give value. It's, <clears throat> hey, why should I do this part? And then there's a script. This is how you answer that question. Gotcha. Is why. Cool. A lot of the psychology behind what makes people change their mind, why they sound excited, then, then they change their mind and how you prepare them to experience those emotions so that they don't back out of the deal completely. It's everything that I teach my agents and that I wish someone would have taught me when I got started. Dude, I absolutely love it. So guys, go to Google, go to go to Amazon, look it up. Uh, David Green, David 
You guys know how to spell David. And then green, G-R-E-E-N-E. And what we're going to do right now is this, is the first five people that do this right here, we're going to send you out uh, one of his latest books. And, and there, there's investors on here asking the question, well, shoot, why would I want this book that's that's focused on the agent? And I'll tell you guys exactly why. Uh, number one, so uh, first of all, we talked about the hybrid model. I think many of you listening to this are, are going to want to and need to start to add part of that brokerage side of your business over the next one, three, five years. This is going to help you down that path uh, of, of doing that. Number two, let's say you have no desires of starting a real estate brokerage or being an agent. You know agents and you know agents who are struggling. Get the darn book and get five of those books and write a note in each one of those in the inside cover to one of those agents that you're building relationships with and say, hey, I found this book. It's an amazing book. I thought you would get some value out of it to help grow your business. Guys, if you just do that and get five or 10 of those books, write them on the inside a nice know you're going to start to build better relationships with real estate agents who are likely going to then want to work with you on the investor side, pass you some deals they can't close. So this is not just, Hey, do you want to read it? It's what can you do to add value? So go do this, Uh, go to Apple podcasts, give a rating review on this podcast. If you have not yet screenshot that rating review uh, and send it to Brady on my team. That's Brady, B-R-A-D-Y at carrot.com. If you've already been one of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who've given us a five-star review, go take that that review you've already given us, screenshot that one if you've already given it to us, send send it to Brady, B-R-A-D-Y at carrot.com. The first five are going to be getting a copy of David's book and we might open up some more copies as well, but I encourage everyone to go buy it. So David, did I appreciate your time, ma'am? You had so much value to the community. Um, and I'm just grateful that we had a chance to connect and talk about your journey. And uh, it's just getting started. I have a feeling, but uh, any parting words uh, for people, whether they're investors or agents, uh, business or life? Well, first off, thank you for what you just did about the book. I really appreciate that. It's a class act there. You got a, you got a good heart, Trevor. Sure. Um, the, the only parting words I would give is what we started off with this thing in the beginning. If you're waiting to understand how all 40 steps are going to work before you get started, you're just wasting money. Okay. You got to get started with something with the understanding that it's okay to pivot, but it's so much easier to pivot when you have momentum. That's really what we're getting at here. So if you're sitting here thinking, oh, I want to get into investing, but I don't know if I want to hold. So I don't know if I want to flip. I don't know if I want to buy and hold. Well, what you do know is you need to find people who want to sell their house. Mm-hmm. So get started signing up for something or finding a partner or doing anything that will help you get in front of motivated sellers, meeting real estate agents, whatever it's going to be. Get those opportunities coming your way and see what feels right. I think I want to do this with this deal. And then later you go, oh, I wish I would have wholesaled it instead of flipped it. Awesome. Do the same thing again. Wholesale it next time. At a certain point, you'll get tired of wholesaling. That's awesome. Now you can learn how to buy and hold, right? But that is how you build. It's these little baby steps that you just keep on taking. Don't get caught up thinking you got to have the whole blueprint before you get started. Get started. Let yourself learn to identify as a real estate investor. And then these steps become a lot easier. Dude, I, I, I love it so much, man. There's so many uh, nuggets in here. I want people to go back and listen to the whole journey, all the different things about building your team, about those mindset shifts, about pivoting and shifting. That's something that isn't talked about a lot. Exactly what you talked about there. People think, well, I just need to do more of the same thing because I show up to the mastermind and this person's done more of that than I have. Therefore, I just need to do more of the same thing. You need to do more of the thing that's going to get you to a spot of joy in your business and life. So uh, David, appreciate you dropping amazing, amazing knowledge on our people. Uh, guys, go follow the Bigger Pockets podcast. Just Google it. Uh, look for David and Brandon over there at the Bigger Pockets podcast and buy 10 copies of the book. Read one yourself sign the other nine and give them to agents or uh, read 
it yourself, y'all. Have an amazing rest of the week. Give that rating and review. Brady, B-R-A-D-Y at carrot.com. First five, get a book shipped to your door. Uh, David, appreciate the heck out of you, man. Have an amazing rest of the week. Good luck on buying a condo over there in, or condos over in Maui. And uh, hopefully we'll connect soon. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you.